Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to johnwarrenmedia.com. For more information, please send a comment along through our contact form or a question if you have any. And uh, please also feel free to email me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Well, it was a delight to have my friend and special guest, Pastor Charlie Parrish, last week. We, the week before that, have been making our way through kind of this survey of the book of Romans, and we completed chapter four, where really Paul kind of provided two witnesses, David and Abraham, to justification by faith. It brings peace with God, is really what we've learned thus far. So... There's a close link between chapters four and five, and we're going to see that in a moment. We're going to dive in today to chapter five. There's really no, it's maybe commentators say a little less than appropriate for there to be a chapter break here because the thought continues. We've learned that God's method of justifying sinners and having provided an Old Testament example of, of that method is by faith. And Paul talks about that. And now now he demonstrates not only are benefits derived from justification at the moment of salvation, but blessings also accompany justification throughout the life of the believer. And I'm excited to talk about that today. Before we do, though, I do want to encourage you that our circulation, our interest from listeners, if you will, is really going well. And I I would encourage you to share these episodes with your friends. I think they're meaningful. I think this is really the most important of all the work that I have ever done. And uh, I'm thankful for this opportunity. We passed the one year point with Relentless Truth with John Warren. And, you know, I, I guess I hoped God would bless this work from the beginning and thought we would get to this point. But in another sense, it's a a bit surreal. I was with uh, good friends, uh, Paul and Libby Bess. My family was last night and they are just dear friends and faithful listeners and always encourage me. They don't even intend to be necessarily encouraging by saying, oh, we liked your podcast this week when you talked about whatever it was. So I hope you will uh, send along comments and questions. This series on Romans is, again, among the most important things we can do, so we can talk about. And I would encourage you, if you're new to the podcast, go back a few weeks and start with the introduction where we talk about the history of the church at Rome. Uh, We talk about where Paul was when he wrote the book, when he wrote it approximately, who delivered it, and uh, what was going on in Rome at the time. And that's, that's just kind of helpful background information. But today we're, we're in chapter five and it's just hard not to gush and be guilty of, of hyperbole as we talk about these truths. So I'm just going to jump in instead of telling you what I, 
what I think of all this truth and, and it would encourage you, you know, I do something when to prepare for these episodes that, and I do it in preparation for my classes at Circle Christian School as well. And I would encourage you maybe to, to consider this. I, I don't know how sound my pastor friends would think this practice is, but I will read, for example, this week I've read Romans 5 every day for several days. And it's amazing. You know, that sounds redundant and boring to many of you probably because the chapter is not that long. But I guess I would just encourage you to do that because you see truth each time you read it, maybe a phrase, maybe a word, or maybe it prompts me to go to Blue Letter Bible and look up a word. There are other tools you can use, apps you can use that'll, that'll do that for you as well. But, it, you know, it's just interesting how packed with uh, theology this particular book of the Bible, but I would quickly add, and, and most of the rest of it, happens to be. And uh, there, there's just so much truth here that our eyes just sort of gloss o- over truth. And you, you might be like me as you read. Sometimes you, you read scripture daily as kind of an obligation. You want to check it off your list so that, you know, you got it done. And sometimes you're not even, you know, front of your mind is just not even aware of what you're reading. Sometimes we're, we're skimming as we, as we read. By the way, the word peruse uh, you, you should look this up. This is cool. This is a freebie today. The word peruse it actually means to read thoroughly. It, in modern times, it's become more like skimming, but to peruse was originally, it its original meaning was to read thoroughly. How about that? So we're going to read thoroughly uh, Romans 5 today. I'm going to do this a little differently in that I'm going to read a verse and then talk about it. And I might read two or three verses at a time and talk about them. And we'll, we'll talk about some individual words that are really important to understand. But the, this concept in Romans 5 is really peace with God. Our, our justification does some things for us. And among them are peace with God. So we're going we're gonna to run through all of the benefits of our justification. That's really what chapter five is all about. And then we have some other exciting chapters. We're just doing a survey. We're not doing a deep dive. We'd be in this book of the Bible forever and you'd become probably bored and bogged down. So we're just hitting the highlights. I hope in your individual study, you will take some time to enjoy the depths of these scriptures. And I'm going to help you do that. I'm, I'm going to suggest that you take notes unless you're driving or doing something that preoccupies you as you listen to this podcast. Perhaps you'll you'll want to listen again later and, and take some notes and do some of your own study. Again, I want to thank my friend, Pastor Charlie Parrish, for last week. We talked about the prosperity gospel, and that was beautiful. In a very real sense, this rich truth in Romans is very helpful, and that, that episode on the prosperity gospel was really quite well-timed, I think. So, Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, therefore, so because of all this, because of everything he said before this, he's, he just talked about the gospel and justification by faith. So because of this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting because in chapters 1 and 2, and, and most of first half of 3, so so first two and a half chapters of Romans, I don't get the sense that there's anything close to peace with God going on. 
And then Paul turns the corner and talks about justification by faith. He is our propitiation, that is forceful expiation, this covering of sin uh, for us. And we access this grace of God through faith. So he says, therefore, in verse one of chapter five, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful promise. This expression, I'm going to give you some, some commentary ease here because I think it's helpful in a couple of cases as we go through this chapter. Have been justified is in a passive voice and the, the time of the action is in the past. So Paul is saying that our justification happened in the past and without our help. So therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first benefit that we're going to talk about many benefits of our justification is peace with God. This is not a feeling of peace. It's not an emotion. It's not something that we have to sense. It's a state of being at peace. He's using still strategic or you might say legal language. And he's saying Jesus Christ has mediated our peace with God. But he's much more than just our mediator. He is, Jesus Christ is our peace with God. So then verse two, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This, this word for access means approach. And all three times this word is used by Paul in the New Testament, it is used to describe our access to God, our ability to approach God once we've been justified. This is huge. This is significant. So the, the second benefit of our justification is access to God the Father, to all whom God has declared and treats as righteous through God the Son. Having been justified by faith, we have access to God. A third benefit of being justified is a place to stand. The verse says, through him we, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We stand before God dressed, clothed in, covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So a fourth benefit of having been justified is that we can rejoice, and, and, and the verse says, in the hope of the glory of God. This hope is the perfect standard of Christ's righteousness. This hope or confident expectation, that's the correct way to define that word hope. It's more than a wish. We, we sometimes say, oh, I hope that happens. That's not the word that is translated hope is, is bigger than that, deeper than that. It's a confident expectation. This hope is a confident expectation. It's the hope that having been justified, we will one day be like Christ. We are becoming Christ-like. We're not becoming little gods with a small g. We're becoming Christ-like. The very, very definition of the word Christian. Now, verses three and four, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. So now Paul pivots 
He's, he's just said, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? And through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But before you go celebrate, let's read verses three and four. Not only that, but we rejoice in something counterintuitive. I, I, I don't know about you, but this sentence jolts me. We rejoice in our sufferings. Paul says this in other places in Scripture, in the New Testament. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, we don't think of suffering as something to rejoice in. Charlie and I talked, Pastor Charlie Parrish and I talked last week about the prosperity gospel, this health and wealth, this name it and claim it, this speak it into existence, speak into this and into that. And it's a bunch of extra biblical garbage. Paul says, rejoice in sufferings. Prosperity gospel says, if you're suffering, something's wrong with you. You don't have enough faith. That is not true. We are to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Paul talks elsewhere in the New Testament, later in the New Testament, in another letter, about suffering making us steadfast, grounded. You know this to be true, and I know it to be true. It produces endurance. There's a sweetness in suffering. Am I looking to suffer some more? Am I, am I anticipating suffering with joy the way Paul describes it? No, not really. I really don't look forward to suffering. But there's a sweetness, especially when we suffer for the gospel's sake. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, this joyful expectation. So the fifth benefit of our justification is that our tribulations are productive in the process of Christian maturity. There's a hope that we can have. If you've been around a dear Christian who is a Christ follower who walks by faith when they suffered, it is a beautiful thing. If you've ever experienced despair, like I did when I was told after waking up from a colonoscopy years ago, 18 years ago, I think it's been, yep, 18 years ago, that you had cancer. I had stage three cancer. And you go through this process then of other diagnostic tests and surgery and chemo and all the rest. You know God's faithfulness through suffering. I've been through a situation recently. I, I serve on the board of an organization that, is, that has really had some trials in the last couple of years. I mean, by God's grace, the numbers are great and, and good people have rallied and, and been incredibly supportive. But there's a difficult, some difficult providence. Dear, dear friends have, aren't happy with me. And it saddens me that that's the case. I love them dearly and had to, uh, we, we had to make some difficult decisions. And, and, there, and in a sense, there's been some suffering there. And they, folks on the other side of this probably feel like they've done some suffering too. But here's, here's this beautiful promise that we can all rest in. And this, this is what unites us as Christians and, and restores us. It's that our tribulations produce endurance which produce character, which produces hope. Sustained by God's grace, our difficulties cause us to be steadfast, to have fortitude. Now, these are old 
archaic words that we don't even say today. Oh, yes, fortitude. We, we hardly ever talk like that now. But it's important. It's this idea of enduring, persevering with good character. God uses suffering to produce endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. But God is initiating the action. I'm not saying to you, just suck it up and invent hope by enduring. I'm saying what Paul is saying here is that God uses our sufferings. We can rejoice that he uses trials, difficulties, knowing that they produce endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Verse five, he continues this thought. He says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. There are a lot of things about sin I have committed that brings shame to me. You might experience this as well. You might, you might have shame for your sin. Your sin and guilt might trouble you, even though you're redeemed, even though you've repented and trusted in Christ, even though you walk by faith. The implications of the fall and the implications of our sin are far greater than we realize, I'm afraid. But hope in God, this hope that Paul is talking about that is developed through our suffering, Suffering, endurance, endurance produces character and character produces hope. That hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's how we rejoice. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us even in our suffering. So a sixth benefit of our justification by faith, just to keep the theme going here as Paul does, is that our hope doesn't disappoint. We have a hope that cannot be humiliated. Biblical hope is something we have, not something we do. Our hope is blessed, it's better, and it's living. According to Scripture, if you look up later, Titus 2.13, Hebrews 7.19, and 1 Peter 1.3, you see this. You see this throughout Scripture. Now, a seventh benefit of justification is that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. Our hearts are flooded with God's love for us because we've been justified. Note the faith, hope, and love trilogy in this section. That appears an awful lot in Scripture. Christ's righteousness is ours. God's love is ours. And the Holy Spirit's presence is ours. Has been given to us. Notice that phrase, has been given to us at the end of verse 5. Has the idea of granting or imparting or putting it into our hearts. At the moment of our salvation, we receive the everlasting gift of the Holy Spirit himself. So an eighth benefit of justification is, in fact, the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, now, now think about this. Paul is pivoting a little here from, from the topic we've been on, but he's still talking about the benefits of our justification. He says, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
And then and he has this very human moment in his writing. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Most of us aren't willing to die for anyone. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die, would, would kind of lean that direction maybe. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This, this is amazing that while we are still being disobedient, while we are haters of God, in that state, mankind was haters of God, nailing him to a cruel Roman cross. Christ died for us on our behalf while we were still rejecting him. I guess a taste of this might be the love we have for our, ch- our children, even when they're disobedient. And we love them imperfectly, don't we? But we love them nonetheless, even when they're disobedient, even when they're doing bad things. But here's another point here, and that this is significant. Christ's death was timed according to God's divine plan. This plan, this was not plan B. This was plan A. God didn't wring his hands and say, oh, these people are sinning. I've got I've to come up with a plan to rescue them. No, this was his divine plan. God is the center of the story of Scripture. Christ died for those who were actively opposed to God. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners without any redeeming qualities. God's love for us sent Christ to the cross to die for us while we were yet sinners, timed according to his plan. He died for those who were actively opposed to God. This is jolting. This is unbelievable. It is his love for us that sent Christ to the cross to die for us. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's just a a beautiful, beautiful statement of fact. Verse 9 says, Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. So so another one of those, because of this, since, since, therefore, since because of this, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now, Paul uses this much more technique, you know, even more so, And, and he he builds thought in, a, in kind of a complex way. I know sometimes he can have these long sentences that seem to go on forever, but listen to his brilliant thinking, brilliant strategic thinking. Since, therefore, we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The ninth benefit of our justification, then, is that we will be saved from wrath through Christ. We can rest in that. If we really grasped that thought, it's not so hard to think about God's holiness, his purity. We sometimes struggle with that, but but I, I don't think that's a difficult concept. The, the difficult concept is that much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This benefit of our justification is that we will be saved from the wrath of God. Yes, God is holy. Uh, yes, he expresses his hatred of sin and yes, the wages of sin are death, but he protects us. We are protected in our justification by being saved from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ and his finished work. Paul is stating that God has removed his entire wrath from our permanent record, from our present lives, and from our future. Now, this, this beautiful promise, you remember we pictured the courtroom scene in chapter 3 of Romans we are, in fact, sentenced to death. He didn't, 
The judge didn't say, you know what, never mind, I'm going to let you go. No, that crime, that sin that we committed, that Paul brings those 14 counts of sin, and it is on our account, and we are guilty before God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And it is because of Jesus Christ that we are saved from the wrath of God. We're going we're gonna to reach a point in chapter 8 that's so cool because Paul says that, that, that there's no condemnation, therefore, because of Jesus Christ for us. So we're still pronounced guilty, but because of his finished work on the cross, there is no condemnation. There's no, the penalty phase of the trial is waived. Our record is cleared and his righteousness is imputed to us, our sin imputed to him, taken on by him. Jesus Christ appeased God's wrath. Love that word, appeased, satisfied God's wrath and paid our debt. You talk about being debt-free. That's a debt that we couldn't pay back. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. Jesus Christ appeased God's wrath and paid our debt. We are reconciled to God. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 talks about this. And this reconciliation exempts us from all future expressions of his wrath. Do you hear that? This reconciliation exempts us from all future expressions of his wrath. We can rest in him. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, there it is again, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Are we saved by Christ's death or are we saved by Christ's life? The answer is yes. And this is the 10th benefit of our justification. So we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, even more so, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. He's the only person who's died on this earth and been resurrected and then lived eternally without ever dying again. God has always demanded a blood sacrifice to atone for sins. You can read Ephesians 1, 7, Hebrews 9, 22, or even Genesis 3, 21. Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding now on our behalf. One of the ways we're saved by his life, Hebrews 7, 25. He's our advocate with the Father, 1 John 2, 1. So whenever Satan accuses us, Jesus is there to save us. Thus, having been justified by faith, we shall continue to be saved by his life. Listen to verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. God's wrath was appeased and therefore removed. We're on speaking terms with him now, and that brought us joy in the first place. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But since reconciliation continues to have effect in our lives, we continue to enjoy reconciliation rejoicing. Isn't that wonderful? We don't often talk that way in English, do we? The continued rejoicing, continued reconciliation rejoicing. Verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so he's talking about Adam now, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
Now, the one man who sinned is Adam. Death entered the world with Adam's sin. Adam stood as the head of the human race. His sin, through procreation, genetics, heredity, however you'd like to say it, spread then to all people on this earth. We're all born in the family of Adam, and we must be born again to be in the family of God, if we want to live in the family of God. The consequence of Adam's sin is death to all of humanity. Verse 13 says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Abraham's simple faith was accounted or imputed or counted to someone what he has not personally done as righteousness. Similarly, God took Adam's original sin and charged it to his record, and since Adam was acting on our behalf, he charged it to us as well, in a sense. God took Christ's righteousness, however, and charged it to our account through his obedience at Calvary. We're therefore charged with Christ's righteousness, or credited with his righteousness. In verse 14, I think this becomes clearer, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Death was clear evidence of the presence of sin in Adam and his posterity. Adam is contrasted with Christ here. He's, he's called a type of him who is to come. So how did people know they were doing wrong? You know, Cain murdering Abel, Sodom and Gomorrah, Joseph's brothers plotting to kill him into putting, and putting him into slavery, selling him into slavery, for example, before God gave Moses the law. What does the law do that nature and conscience cannot do? Death reigned, this says, from Adam to Moses, yet oh, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of one who was to come. Well, let's read on. I think he, he answers, Paul answers this question. But the free gift, verse 15, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The grace of God is contrasted here with the sin of Adam. It is greater in quality and degree than Adam's sin. In Adam, we get what we deserve, condemnation and guilt. In Christ, we've received much more of what we don't deserve, mercy and grace. Hear that again. In Adam, we get what we deserved, condemnation and guilt. In Christ, we have received much more, by faith, much more of what we do not deserve, mercy and grace. Paul uses a comparative that means much more or all the more. This, this phrase that I talked about earlier that he continues to use. And then verse 16, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Notice that Adam's initial sin is what imputed sin to us, but the righteousness imputed us through, to us through Christ, through Christ's sacrifice, covers all of our sin. Death replaced Adam as the ruler of nature when Adam sinned. Our relationship to Adam as the head of humanity made death the destiny of all of society. By the new birth or being born again, we pass from our old relationship to Adam 
to our new relationship with Christ. Verse 17, listen to this. For if because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance, there it is again, abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is this much more. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so the one act, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Again, Paul's contrast is between the first Adam and Christ, the, the second Adam. As humankind's representative, Adam's sin condemned all of us. As humankind's savior, Christ justifies us by his righteousness. Now, verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The difference between this disobedience and obedience is the difference between death and life, between unrighteousness and righteousness. The whole of our salvation, just think about it, rested, rests on Christ's obedience. And remember, he was fully man and fully God. Verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Note the contrast between sin and righteousness, death and life. Man's sin, and here's kind of the summary, contrasts sharply with Christ's obedience. The wages of sin versus the gift of God, the free gift of God. The contrast between death and life are clear in this passage. Christ's sacrifice is entirely sufficient once for all. Jesus' one act of obedience in going to the cross. Now, he lived a sinless life as well, and that's important. But his one act of obedience in going to the cross and dying, Paul is saying, atoned for our sin. This principle of one is important. This one act of obedience atoned for our sin, just as Adam's one act of sin doomed us to death. You can look at John 10, 27 and 28 for more on that topic. Well, that wraps up chapter five. And I know it's easier probably than hearing me read it for you to sit down and read it. I would encourage you to do that. This wonderful peace with God, this reconciliation, contrast it if, if you can, if you would. And don't, you don't have to skip over chapter four, but go back to chapter three and, and read those 14 counts of, of our sin. There's none righteous, no, not one, and our throats are an open grave and all the rest. And then look at the implications of this peace with God that we have through our justification, this justification by faith, the theme of this letter in chapter five. So read, read chapter three and then flip over to chapter five and, and you could read four along the way if you want, because it's important too. talking about Abraham and David and they're, they're being justified by faith. This, this recognition of the promise through faith is, is also important, but wow, the contrast, this peace with God that we have in spite of when, when you read those 14 counts in chapter three, it just feels so damning, so doomed. And, and, and yet, when you look at the implications of the cross of Jesus Christ, 
in chapter five, what, what beautiful promises. And Paul's going to go on to just pour on the beauty through the rest of this book. I can't wait to get there. There are a couple of sections in particular that are just the most beautiful words ever written in a sense. And they're, they're very consistent with the rest of scripture. There's some other places we can go in scripture for this, but, but Romans is just packed full of this beautiful theology. I hope this really light overview is helpful. I hope you're encouraged in this. I hope maybe the connection of Adam to the rest of us is, is now a little more apparent. If it's not, go back and read this. It's not quite as confusing after you read it a few times and contemplate it a little bit. It's not quite as confusing maybe as the first time through. But what a beautiful promise that this contrast between sin and righteousness, between death and life, these are real world issues that are important. And I, I know sometimes, I believe me, I'm guilty of, of just wanting to just think happy thoughts and just think lighter thoughts. But diving into this truth is so important to knowing knowing where we stand before God, knowing who we are, who God is, and how God relates to us. These are just important, beautiful truths. I hope this trip through Romans, this high level, just moving through it rather rapidly, I hope it's helpful to you. And I I hope I'm adequately at least scratching the surface of in describing God's love for us and how, how that works, what justification by faith is really all about in this broader theme of the righteousness of God. God's righteousness is not compromised by the cross. It's upheld by the cross. What what a beautiful promise. Justification by faith doesn't cheapen God's character. It, It enforces, it reinforces and explains God's character. God is a loving God. He's also a just, a righteous God. And these, these truths are beautiful as Paul explains them. Next time we will dive into chapter six. We're, we're making our way through here. We're going to get to some sections that are, in my opinion, even more beautiful. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for your support of this podcast. Relentless Truth is something, an important ministry to me. If it's, if it's been a blessing to you, I hope you'll just let me know. Uh, I'm encouraged when I run into friends like the best family last night at dinner and I appreciate their support so much. So many of you have passed along encouraging comments here and there and even on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. You can find us there too. I'm terrible with Instagram, but I'm trying. So I post the episodes every Monday. I I hope they're they're meaningful. You can go to johnwarrenmedia.com to find a library of all the episodes to this point. I want to thank uh, the owner of our production company, uh, Josh Brown, his productions for his good work. And thank you, the loyal uh, listener. Hope you'll pass your comments along. You can email me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. So please do share this episode with your friends. It's important information. Look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media 
on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.